0: This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to God's Word this morning, and we've nearly reached the end of our autumn series in the book of 2 Corinthians. I preached through 1 Corinthians a couple of years ago. Those sermons are on our website. You can listen to those and work your way through those as well. But here we are today. We are in 2 Corinthians 11, nearly at the end of the book. And God willing, by year's end, uh, we will have made it through uh, this wonderful passage Uh, It is my goal to preach through Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God, uh, and I have been delighted and challenged as we have worked our way through this particular letter. So we're in 2 Corinthians 11, open your Bibles at home uh, to that passage, read on with me and keep it open as this is preached, for this is the Word of God. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Ica. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes last one. through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who has made the fall? And I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Amen. And we thank God today for his precious word. There is an old saying that pride comes before a fall and certainly I think it's incredibly applicable to the church here in 2020. We have endless resources here in the west. We have grand church buildings in order to meet. We are well established in the communities and and society around us. We have been part of the culture and this country for generations We have a wonderful, exalted position, and I suspect it has led to flabbiness, a lack of zealousness, and perhaps spiritual arrogance. You and I, as modern-day Christians, we know it all, and yet if you were to hear my mother shouting, she would remind us, you know nothing. And often that is the case. Often, despite the fact that the gospel has been preached in these lands for generations, We are still all too quick to fall into falsehood. Many will know in this divided land of ours that the Protestants preach a gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. And may that always be the gospel that is proclaimed in Northern Ireland and the surrounding nations. And yet as I meet many from that so-called reformed background, the gospel has been twisted into something else. The gospel has turned into a labor that keeps the Ten Commandments. The gospel has been turned into a works-based, which is centered around attending church and paying in and the odd time coming to the Lord's table. My friends, these things are not the gospel. The gospel declares that Christ Jesus died for sinners. The gospel is the good news, a declaration of what Christ has done. He was crucified for sin and raised for justification. Here is the gospel and all of us must receive it by faith. This is the truth. And yet we so quickly fall into error. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 11, still taking on this defensive posture. The false apostles want to tell the Corinthians that Paul isn't up to much. He can't be trusted. He is a liar. He is slicked. He is someone that they should shun and, and put out of their fellowship. And Paul thinks the debates that are going back and forward and him having to defend his ministry is foolishness. He would much rather preach the precious gospel and see the church built. But instead he goes on the defensive and he plays the fool to show the foolishness of the false apostles. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. In verse 1, do bear with me. And he is about to go to point out the reality that here the false apostles indeed are the ones that cannot be trusted. They are the ones who are pushing a false gospel. They are the ones that are building a ministry and a church that is centered around them. And so Paul speaks. Because Paul knows how precious the local church is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul understands that the fight that is in front of him must be fought. None of us like fighting fights. But the reality is, my brothers and sisters, if the gospel is tarnished, if it is twisted beyond all recognition, if it is preached sincerely but is still sincerely wrong. And we must be prepared to stand up and to speak against such abuses. Why? Because eternal life or eternal judgment is at stake. Paul was not prepared to allow the Corinthians to slip into the hands of the false apostles. Men who, as we will see later in this chapter, did not, did not have their best spiritual interests at heart. Paul has been through plenty on the road. We will see that later in this chapter. And some might look at the Corinthians and the, the arguments that have come out and the abuse that Paul has received, and they might end up saying, well, well, Paul should have just walked away. Why would you put up with this? Shake the dust off your feet and let them get on with it. But Paul couldn't do that. He says in verse 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. See, this is how Paul views the local church in Corinth, not as a a place where he can go and scheme them out of money, not as a place where he can manipulate them and, and bring them to a situation where they look at Paul and say, oh, there's our hero, there's our leader, there's our king. But instead, Paul sees the relationship between him and the local church as a father presenting his virgin daughter to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know some might think of that imagery and think, that's a bit strange, but it's absolutely not. It's entirely biblical. The church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom, and he loved his bride so much that he died for the sake of his bride. Christ died for the elect. Christ died for his church. And so Paul sees that relationship. He says to the Corinthians, I love you. I love you like a father loves his daughter, and I presented you... To Christ. But I am afraid, verse 3, that as the serpent deserved Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is what is at stake in Corinth. It's not a matter of Paul's reputation. He doesn't want to put these people right just so Paul can say, at least they think I'm a hero. The issue at stake is the gospel. And make no mistake, nothing has changed to this very day and age. The issue is always the gospel. I know it might seem at times personal. I know at times it might be seen as an attack on the minister or an attack on a fellowship or an attack on reputation. But ultimately the enemy rages against the church because he hates the gospel. This precious gospel, this precious declaration of the good news is at the target and the front of Satan's mind. He wants it destroyed. He wants no one to hear it. He wants no one to be saved. He rages for his time is short. And so Paul is worried. And just as Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan in the garden, so too the men and women in Corinth will be led astray from Christ. You see, what is going on with these false apostles is that they have come and proclaimed another Jesus. It is that they have come and proclaimed another spirit. They have come and proclaimed another gospel. Paul says that in verse 4. And he urges these men and women that, that if anyone does that, if anyone comes and, and preaches a different gospel, then they should be put out. It should be rejected. And yet, as verse four comes to a close, the Corinthians put up with it. The Corinthians are happy enough to, to listen to it. Friends, I can only imagine Paul's broken-heartedness over this. The gospel that he had preached, the gospel which these men and women received, well, they were now hearing a different gospel, and they received it. They put up with it. It was coming from the lips and from the ministry of who Paul calls in verse 5, these super apostles. And he defends himself against them in verse 5. He says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. That was their goal. It was their whole modus operandi. They, They were saying, Paul, he's not like us. He's not good enough like us. He's not good looking. He doesn't sound well. This Paul is inferior to us. He might have given you this gospel and this Jesus and this spirit, but listen to us. We are plausible. We are the good-looking ones. We are the ones that will build churches and take over this world and redeem our communities. And Paul says, I'm not having any of that. I am not the least bit inferior to these super apostles. Verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. These men and women, this church in Corinth, had the ministry of an apostle among them. Paul was not a wonderful speaker. He admits it here, but he he knew things. He understood. He had received this revelation of the gospel from Christ himself. He was an apostle. He was filled with authority. And it wasn't about the razzmatazz. It was about the plain teaching of God's word. The plain teaching of a mystery that had once been hidden away but has now been revealed. It was about the gospel. Paul had done no wrong amongst these people. Paul had not committed any sin. He says in verse 7, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Paul hadn't even come with his hand out. He hadn't come and said, right, I'm going to minister to you and it's going to cost you X amount of pounds. Instead, he says in verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you, verse 9, and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. It was the brothers who came from Macedonia. They supplied my need and I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Here is a ministry of integrity among these people. The false false apostles, you can be sure, had their hand out. It was about them, it was about their comfort, it was about their reputation, it was about their ego. It's me, it's me, it's me. I'm the boss of the bakery, and Paul came with meekness and humility and says, I will be supported by others whilst I minister among you, for I preach Christ and him crucified." See, friends, the, the enemy hasn't changed any in these years. The enemy still knows that we like bright and shiny things. He knows that we want to be in the places that that seem popular, the places that seem this is where it's at. And all too often that's how the door gets opened and that's how false teaching enters in. One of the biggest churches in this world is a place where the health, wealth and prosperity gospel is preached every single week. And yet if you watch videos from this church, you will see this grand arena filled with men and women with Bibles on their knee, wide open. But a false gospel, proclaimed from the front. Nothing changes. Often we don't like the unskilled preacher. Often we don't like the plain, ordinary means of grace ministry, the word preached, the sacraments administered, the prayer of the saints get brought before the Lord. None of that seems desperately exciting anymore, and yet it is by these means that the Lord grows his church. It is by the plain teaching of the gospel that men and women are brought out of captivity and into the marvelous light of Christ. Paul is a, an ordinary means preacher. And he says... This is how I came to you, not to burden you. Instead, the poorer brothers in Macedonia supported Paul. But Paul today preaches this to the Corinthians. He, He enters into this foolish boasting to the Corinthians because he says in verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Paul knew what was at stake. If he was to retreat, it was to give the false apostles, the the enemies of the gospel, it was to give them the land. It was to say to them, well, the dust is shaken off my feet. It's all yours. But my friends, may we never make an agreement with the enemy. May we never retreat from the enemy. May we never just wash our hands and say, oh, we can't do anything there anymore because literally heaven and hell is at stake. This is the issue. This is the issue, and, and you hear all the time, you hear, oh, some of you preachers, you're, you're so dogmatic. Some of you, why, why, why can't we just work together with other fellowships that, that, well, we know we disagree, but let's just get along. My friends, if the gospel is at stake, then we cannot get along. We may, we may want peace desperately, we may earnestly desire it, but if another Christ is proclaimed, another spirit is proclaimed, another gospel is proclaimed, then it is time to engage in spiritual warfare. Paul boasts in foolishness. He knows that. He doesn't want to be this look at me kind of guy, but he engages with these false apostles in order that he will not be silenced, but so that they will. And Why? Verse 11, because I do not love you. God knows I do god knows i love you corinth god knows that i i enter into this because i love you and and i'm concerned about the church of jesus christ and what i am doing i will continue to do verse 12 in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do they certainly do not they certainly do not the false apostles are not driven by the gospel. The false apostles are not men that want to preach Christ and Him crucified. They are puffed up. They are exalted. It is all about them. A few years ago, a false teacher came to Belfast and I wasn't at the meeting that he spoke at, but I've heard that he rode onto the stage on a bicycle. What is that about? What is that about? What was that for? Certainly it was Uh, Rasmataz. Certainly it was interesting, but I can't help but feeling that it drew the attention to him. And afterwards, as he was selling his books, he would only sign books that you bought there and then that night. See, there's a big industry in the church today an industry of evangelicalism. Well, we're all Christians. We're all evangelicals, and yet when you drill down into the teaching of some of these charlatans, you realize that they have taken the ancient faith, and they've twisted it and manipulated it and turned it upside down. Christ is decreasing in their faith, and instead they increase. One famous prosperity preacher a few years ago sent word out to his congregation about how they could pitch in in order to buy him a fancy jet. Because after all, he was flying across the world preaching the gospel. And they could support this ministry. Friends, if you go to a church like that, if you know of men and women like that, then flee from those individuals. They do not work on the same terms as the apostle did nor do the enemies that Paul is facing. He says in verse 13, such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen, and they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They are not, they are not sent from Jesus. They are wolves in among the sheep. They are men feathering their own nest. They do not preach Christ and him crucified. Instead, their agenda is man center. If we in our enlightened 2020 age think that this could never happen to us, then may we beware. May we be shaken from our slumber. May we desire Christ preached in our pulpits. May we have Bibles open when we listen to every sermon. May we be vigilant for false teaching wherever it may come. From the pulpit, from the Bible study, in the church car park, wherever it may be. May our little ears be attuned to it for we know what is at stake wolves gather in among the sheep they always have they always will this is the strategy of the enemy because rarely does the enemy come riding through the main doors of the church and say here i am here's the enemy here i am come to twist this fellowship to destroy this fellowship so the gospel will be silenced here i am paul says these false apostles who disguise themselves it's no wonder they do it Because verse 14 tells us, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Even Satan plays this part. My friends, understand who your enemy is. We said last week, it isn't Roberta in the choir. She might be caught up in his plot, but ultimately the battle is a spiritual one with the unseen forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Satan here disguises himself as one of the good guys. Friends, we do not want to preach too much about Satan, but when he comes up in the text, it's a, an opportunity to, to teach. Who was he? He was a fallen angel. If you read in Ezekiel 28 and verse 16, you read that he was a cherub. He was cast down from the mountain of God, and we know therefore, according to Paul and Hebrews, that angels are ministering spirits sent out for the sake of God's elect. So in the beginning Satan was an angel and in the beginning his purpose was to serve the people of God but he falls, he rebels. Understanding Revelation 12, we understand that it seems in this rebellion, this satanic inspired rebellion, perhaps up to a third of the angels fell with him. We do not know how many angels the Lord made. Such discussion is just pure speculation But if we say that there were a million angels, then a third of them fell with the enemy. And so as we meet Christ in the Gospels, and he wages war against the demons, who he is waging war against is the fallen angelic allies of Satan. And Jesus knows who he faces, and they flee from him. It isn't a fair fight. They don't come and win a few battles here and there against Jesus. When he speaks, they do what he says, because they know who it is that they have encountered. And Jesus knows who it is that he is encountering. He says in John 8 and verse 44 that Satan is both a murderer and a liar. And later in 1 Peter 5 and 8, Peter refers to him as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is a liar. And he only comes, according to Jesus in John 10 verse 10, to destroy and to kill. See friends, this is the enemy. This is the enemy. And so when it comes to the enemy's work in local fellowships, we cannot remain neutral the corinthians were remaining neutral they were putting up with false teaching readily enough verse 4 they were on the fence and what is at stake is much greater than they could have possibly imagined see the lord jesus christ comprehensively defeated satan at calvary when he came to earth He bound the strong man. Matthew 12, verse 29. This is speaking of Satan. And the Lord Jesus comes and and routs him at Calvary. But Satan is like that fierce roaring lion on a chain. Raging for he knows his time is short. Revelation 12, verse 12. And he hates Christ. He hates Christ's church. He hates the gospel. And he hates truth. Brothers and sisters enough has been said of the enemy and instead of thinking on him today we think on Jesus because we know that Jesus wins. We know that Jesus is victorious. We know that it isn't these two cosmic beings, two gods wrestling it out. Satan is part of creation he is not God. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He is not God. He is the enemy, and he has been defeated, but we must be wise so that we can resist him, and he will flee from us. James chapter 4 and verse 7. In our fellowships, may wisdom abide. In our fellowships, may we listen to what is taught and what is said, for even Satan describes him, disguises himself as an angel of light. And therefore, says Paul in verse 15, it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will correspond to their deeds. This is the reality. The enemy pretends like he is our friend. Our enemy lets on that he's part of Christ's team. Our enemy is within the church. We, we know and we speak of the enemy outside, but often the enemy comes quietly and stealthily and disguised into the local fellowship. And how do we defeat him? Like we said last week, not by fighting fire with fire, not by rumor and lie and innuendo, but with the gospel. With the scriptures, with with the gift of prayer, with the sacraments, we wage spiritual war, always vigilant for we know what is at stake. Satan attacks Christ and Satan attacks his bride and Satan attacks the gospel and wishes it to be silent. Friends, I know we like to think that we live in a Christian country and I know we like to think that We're always going to live in a wonderfully Christian country. But I'll let you in a wee secret. We're not that. And it hasn't been for a long time that we've even come close to that. And I suspect we never ever were that. We are pilgrims. Pilgrims in a barren land. Pilgrims who are called to be salt and light in this world, but pilgrims who are called to be ever vigilant as the enemy seeks to silence the church of Christ. Paul understands this, understands what is at stake. And as such, he is certainly no fool. He says in verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would. The Lord doesn't boast in foolishness. But Paul says this as a fool. Verse 17. And since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. These men and women gladly bear with fools. These false apostles are fools. They think they're so wise. The Corinthians think they're so wise. Paul says the reality of these men in verse 20 if you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face this is the ministry of the false apostles this is how they've always done it and the reason that they do it is to extol themselves and to enslave their hearers and on the other side of the coin Christ comes to set us free. My friends, the enemy wants to put Christ's children back in the chains. He wants us to be enslaved to a gospel of legalism that says, it's not about Christ, it's all about me. He wants us to believe a gospel that says, we're not good enough, so we've got to try really hard. And, and what does trying really hard look like? Well, maybe we do spiritual practices now and again, or, or maybe we just try to be really, really good as we live our lives. This is all noble, but it is false. The gospel is a gospel of grace, and it is all of Christ. But Paul says these men want to enslave and devour these current things. And Paul, who ministered in much weakness, says in verse 21, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and I am speaking still as a fool, he says, I also dare to boast of that. I am a Hebrew, I am an Israelite, I am a child of Abraham, I am a servant of Christ, verse 23, and I am talking like a madman, he says. But I've had far greater labours, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times time shipwrecked adrift at sea on frequent journeys danger from rivers danger from robbers danger from his own danger from gentiles danger in the city danger in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers is it over no in toil and hardship verse 27 through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things verse 28 the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches this is true ministry. This is a true apostle. And the Corinthians knew it. And still they were deceived by the enemy. Still they were deceived by the false apostles who hadn't slept anywhere except their own comfortable beds. Never were beaten for the sake of Christ. Never faced any danger for the sake of Christ. And why? Because they were enemies of Christ. Why did they not see it? Paul was weak. Paul was the one who came ministering in much weakness. And so he says in verse 30, If I must boast, then I will boast of the things that show my weakness. It is the Lord who knows I am not lying. Verse 31. And it is Paul who even in Damascus had to escape like a common thief lowered down on the wall in a basket. Friends, we should marvel at this passage. Our church is, like many, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. When we read what the apostle went through, we should be humbled. I suspect none of us have ever gone through days like this. And yet, this world did not deserve such godly men men who labored day and night so that this precious gospel would be carried forward to future generations. Men like Paul, whose reputation was trampled into the ground, who was slandered at every turn just because the false apostles decided we need rid of this guy so that we can be kings of this particular castle. And may we not doubt that the precious gospel that was carried in much weakness in the scarred hands of the Apostle Paul, is still under threat. It is still despised. It is still attacked. And maybe even here in the so-called Christian West, we will live to see days where we are told to be quiet. My friends, this time of the year, there's nothing better. And going into the house at the end of a day. Getting all cozy in their jammies. And laying on the sofa and lighting a fire. And maybe a candle or two. And looking at the Christmas tree. Nothing better. Nice and cozy. Nice and safe. Nice and warm. But may we always be ready and prepared. To stand and to fight for the sake of Christ. And his precious gospel. May we not tolerate those in our fellowships who lead us away ever so gently and subtly from jesus may we have no room to be nice and to be pleasant to those who every day seek to feller their own nest and to denounce christ we are men and women who know what is at stake we are men and women who understand that eternity awaits Heaven for those who have received Christ and hell for the devil and his angels and the enemies of Jesus. We know this is at stake and therefore we continue to preach Christ and him crucify. For there is no greater message. And there is no other name by which man must be saved. Given under heaven except the name of Jesus and anyone who tells us any different any different Christ, any different spirit, any different gospel, then let them be anathema. May our eyes and ears be closed to them. And may we be vigilant in these days where the enemy continues his work. Friends, thanks be to God today for the gospel. Because once upon a time, our eyes were as closed to it as those of the false apostles. And yet by his Holy Spirit and by the preaching of the gospel, we have been saved. What a gift. What an extraordinary, precious gift. It's worth holding to. It's worth defending. It's worth passing on. And, my friends, those of you who today are considered enemies of Christ, it is worth believing. There are many false gospels that you have heard, many that you have told yourself. Today, I stand before you and promise you before Almighty God that I tell you the truth. You must be born again. Anyone who has ever told you otherwise is a liar and part of the wrong side. You must be born again. And Christ Jesus is ready, willing, and able to save to the uttermost all of those who call upon him. Call upon him today. He does not come to enslave you. He does not come to beat you, devour you, or take advantage of you. He comes with no errors and graces. He comes as a servant, as a little lamb, to die for those whom he loves. This is the gospel. The good news of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. Believe on him today, and you will be saved.